So what we hope to do is have a look at the um, an overview of the parable that we have in John chapter 10 in those verses that we've just read. Uh, and then look even wider still than that, at Jesus, at the good shepherd, because Jesus has been a, a good shepherd so needed, so sorely missed and looked for throughout the generations uh, to help and to guard and to save God's people. The need for the good shepherd had its roots back in the Old Testament in the days when a similar situation existed to the one that did in the days of Jesus, which caused him to, to speak this parable when there were bad shepherds in Israel leading the people. And so a promise was made back then of one good shepherd to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that would uh, rectify uh, the situation. And so in many ways, it's going to be a, a case of comparing and contrasting good and bad shepherds and the things that we read about them uh, in the scriptures. And in doing so, hopefully we shall pick up on the need for the good shepherd, the one with the uh, the good character and qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first we want to look at this parable, we say is contained in, in John chapter 10, because it is actually much more than just a couple of phrases. We've looked at Jesus saying, I am the door. We're looking today at this phrase, I am the good shepherd, but it's contained in, in a parable in these verses from verse 1 to 18 uh, in John chapter 10. Uh, and so we have the dialogue in those verses, but it's broken up by just one verse in verse six, a verse of narrative, where we read, this parable spake Jesus unto them, that they understood not what things they were, which he spake to them. And so what we want to do is just pick up initially on that, that verse, that phrase, this parable spake Jesus unto them, to consider the context of the parable, and then uh, to consider the other features of the parable as well, and the significance that they, they might hold for us. So first of all, then, who are the them that Jesus spoke this parable to? When we read there, this parable Jesus spake unto them. And what was the reason for it? Why was he speaking unto these people in particular? Well, to do that, uh, to get the context, we go back another chapter into John chapter 9, uh, a chapter which speaks of the, the man born blind, blind uh, that received his sight, that Jesus performed a miracle on to, to give him back his sight. And then we have a whole dialogue in this chapter with the Pharisees, between the Pharisees and this man. Uh, and really the issue was that they couldn't get past their belief that in their eyes, this man must have been a bad person. He must have been a particularly bad sinner or, or maybe his parents were for him to have been born blind. They thought, thought that this was a punishment for sins. And it all leads up to verse 34 and 35, which are really interesting, I think, in context with this parable that we're looking at. So in verse 34, we read, they answered and said unto him, so this is the Pharisees answering the man, thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. And so we see here that the Pharisees' view was, you were born a sinner, you will always be a sinner, and you're not as righteous as, as us, us Pharisees, and so we want nothing to do with you. We will cast you out. It was all completely wrong, of course, and that's why Jesus uh, had to teach this parable. But what's really interesting is the next verse in John chapter 9, in verse 35. By contrast to the Pharisees casting this man out, we read that Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And so we have these bad shepherds, the scribes and the Pharisees, casting out this man. But Jesus, the 
good shepherd sought him out. He'd looked for him. You don't find someone unless you're looking. So he must have looked for this man and found him and cared for him. And that's what this parable is about. The good shepherd caring for his sheep, caring for his believers. This man um, said he, he believed into him, verse 38 there. And if we turn back a couple of chapters again in John chapter 6 and uh, verse 37, we see that um, casting sheep out, casting people out is completely the opposite to what good shepherding is all about. So in John 6 verse 37, we read Jesus' words. Uh, when he said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So the scribes and the Pharisees, they were different. They were these bad shepherds that cast out the sheep of God's flock. But Jesus said he would never do that. And it's something that we find was the situation back in Old Testament times as well. Uh, so, for instance, we won't turn to it in Jeremiah 50, verse 6. calls God to, to exclaim, my people have been lost to sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. And so this turning away and casting people out by the people that should have been looking after and shepherding God's people, it's something that goes right back to the Old Testament. And that's what we said. We'll, we'll go back and have a look at that uh, in due course. And so we find then at the end of uh, John chapter 9 here uh, that um, Jesus accuses the, the scribes and the Pharisees of, of blindness and incompetence in looking after the flock of God. And that's what brings him, in verse 10, to speak this parable. So in verse, uh, sorry, chapter 10 and verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, so he's speaking to the Pharisees that he's just been speaking to uh, in chapter 9. But I think that's really the fundamental lesson of the parable of the Good Shepherd, that the Good Shepherd looks after and cares for his sheep and their spiritual well-being those that are believers. Uh, and Jesus was therefore prepared to sacrifice his life for the flock, compared to these bad shepherds that were prepared to sacrifice the flock for themselves. And so we shall see the likes of the scribes and the Pharisees represented in the parable um, as bad shepherds. And we could also, uh, just in context, in just introduction, think briefly about the um, the parable Jesus spoke in Luke 15 about the parable of the lost sheep because that also was to the scribes and the Pharisees for exactly the same reason and so this was obviously a, uh, something that he was trying to, to get across to the scribes and the Pharisees so Luke 15 and verse 2 we read there that the Pharisees and scribes murmured saying this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them and verse 3 he spake this parable unto them saying what man of you having an hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost and find it? And so again, we see this lesson that that's what the scribes and the Pharisees should have been doing. They should have been searching for the lost sheep of the house of Israel and caring for them. But instead, they were casting them out. They were too proud and hypocritical to admit that they also were sinners. And, and so in that sense, um, all men and women are equal, of course, equal in need of God's mercy and forgiveness. And so Jesus, as a good shepherd, had instructed his disciples after him in those well-known words that to go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So that's really the context uh, to this 
parable of the bad shepherding of the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus was trying to address. So let's look at the parable then. Um, as we say, there's a lot more to it than just Jesus as the door and as the good shepherd. Uh, there's various features of the parable. And we've attempted to put a diagram together uh, to try and just pictorialize it, have something visual to, to try and uh, follow it all. So we have the, a sheepfold. Uh, in verse one, we read of the sheepfold. Uh, we have a, a flock of sheep, a listening flock, as we've called them, because they're listening to the voice of the shepherd. Uh, we read of them in verse 3, verse 14, and verse 27 of John chapter 10. Uh, we have a, a hireling shepherd spoken of in verse 12 and verse 13. Uh, we have a wolf in verse 12. Uh, we have the door in verse 2, verse 7, and verse 9. We have the good shepherd, of course, in verse 14 and uh, verse 11 and verse 14. We have the voice of the shepherd mentioned three times, verse 3, verse 4, verse 16. Uh, we have a porter mentioned in verse 3. Uh, and we have a stranger uh, in verse 5, and the stranger also has a voice mentioned. Uh, and then finally in verse 16, we have other sheep mentioned. So there's quite a lot in this parable uh, to be considering. But central to it all is the good shepherd. Uh, but all these other features have a relevance to him. So we thought we'd just try and pick them all up and, and as I say, have a bit of a, a broad brush approach and an overview. But I think hopefully by doing so, it puts the good shepherd uh, into context very clearly for us and the reason and, and the need for that that shepherd <clears throat> so let's just go through one by one with, just with a little summary so let's just think about the sheepfold first of all um say brother uh, Simeon spoke a bit about the sheepfold so it's just really a, a quick recap of some of the uh, things that he said uh, so that the sheepfold is a place where uh, sheep are collected and defended and it's made use that of course, is at, at night time to protect the sheep in the night time. Uh, and so we instantly see a, a lesson for ourselves, don't we, in these things that now is a time while darkness prevails over all the earth that the fold is necessary uh, for the sheep. Uh, and that darkness will remain until Jesus returns. So we know that God has a, a purpose with the earth, ultimately to fill it with his glory. And he's been developing that purpose as time goes by. And in the days of Jesus, it took the form of creating this community, this church or ecclesia, establishing a fold, so to speak. And Brother Simeon spoke of the fold uh, being representative of the ecclesia, didn't he? And so this one fold uh, is for the purpose of keeping God's truth alive and for the development and the preservation of a people controlled by the knowledge of that truth and the love of that um, truth and all therein are part of that community that God is forming for himself through uh, the passing generations. So that's just a little bit about the sheepfold. Uh, let's just remind ourselves again about the door, um, just so that we're covering all these things. Uh, the door, Jesus said in verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. No man can be saved unless they come through this door. Naturally speaking, we are without hope. The Apostle Paul spoke of that in Ephesians 2, didn't he? That the time when we were without Christ, he said we had no hope and without God in the world. 
but there is a fold in which there is safety and the door is Christ. And how we entered, that door is very briefly explained by the apostles. And they said, he that believeth and is baptised shall be saved. And so when we go through those waters of baptism, we enter this sheepfold. We enter by Christ. There's no other entrance but by him. There's one, one entrance to the fold. Perhaps just turn to Romans chapter 5. There's an interesting verse in this context that just talks about access uh, to uh, what we're talking about, the, into the fold through Jesus. So Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so through Jesus, through the door, we have access into this marvellous um, position in which we stand, a position of grace, uh, undeserved favour, and uh, that's uh, a joyful position, therefore. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So it's a nice little picture of um, what's achieved by um, entering the fold through the door. <clears throat> so let's move on to the, the porter. We read about the porter in verse 3. John chapter 10. Uh, to him the porter openeth, to, to the shepherd the porter openeth. That's pretty much what we read uh, about the porter. Um, but the word uh, in the Greek, thuroros, literally means a gatekeeper or a warden. And it's the same, uh, we find a word again, just a few chapters on in John chapter 18. It's probably familiar when we read it. There's a couple of references actually. It's the, the time when uh, Peter denied Christ, uh, and we read in verse 17, for instance, Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter. And that kept the door, that is this uh, porter, the same word, through us. So it's literally someone that, uh, as we say, is a gate warden or a doorkeeper. One that's in charge of the door, preparing for the shepherd's arrival, essentially in the parable, and facilitating their access as we've just said in verse three to him the porter openeth so the porter's providing access to the fold initially so in seeing the porter as one that represents uh, or prepared for christ um, that stood at the threshold of the work of the lord jesus preparing for his arrival uh, the suggestion is that that's referring to john the baptist he stood at the very threshold of the work of christ and he called attention uh, to, to Jesus, introduced him to all in Israel that feared God. He was sent to prepare the way, wasn't he? In Isaiah 40, verse 3, we read that. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Uh, and in John chapter 1, there's all the references in John, so it's quite easy to just um, click backwards and forwards to them, which is good. Uh, so John chapter 1, we have the reference to a description of John. Uh, in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Uh, the same came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And I suppose we might say then he wasn't the shepherd, but he was sent to bear witness and prepare for the shepherd in that sense. And so um, that's perhaps a an indication 
uh, that John the Baptist was that one represented by the, the porter. So let me have the, the sheep, uh, the sheep that are, are listening and hearing the good shepherd. Jesus makes very clear who the sheep of the parable are when he said in verse 27, didn't actually read that far, did we? Um, but my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It's a very simple characteristic of these sheep, isn't it? That they, men and women who submit to the word of Christ and do as he commands. And it's a, a close following. Uh, Jesus spoke uh, about it on other occasions. Again, just a few chapters away from John 10, 10 in chapter 14. Speaking about acceptable discipleship. Uh, John 14, verse 21. Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So we have these um, sheep, the, the flock of Christ, who are attentive to his words and his instruction. And they follow him. They make their abode with him. They're pleased and, and happy and willing to come into that fold of the good shepherd. And the apostles also spoke plainly of the way disciples should follow Christ. Uh, just a short verse uh, in 1 John 2 verse 6. I'll just read it. He that saith he abideth in him ought also himself to walk even as he walked. And so we have this picture of the sheep walking, following closely this shepherd. And it's an analogy that is all very common uh, in um, certainly in ancient shepherding. Um, lots of people that can describe seeing in the Holy Land uh, shepherds with their flock literally following um, happily and closely behind. And so we have this picture, don't we, of men and women that submit to the word and the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and obey his commandments. And they're very appropriately represented by sheep. The sheep is quite a strong animal, but it's a completely harmless animal, isn't it? There's no living thing that's threatened by a sheep. And so there can be no better exhortation than the use of a sheep to represent true disciples of Christ. Jesus himself, of course, was a, a lamb, lamb of God. And those who follow him, therefore, should be like him. It's strong in spiritual strength, but harmless and inoffensive in their character. So let's move on then to the wolf. Um, don't need to describe a wolf, I'm sure. Uh, a wolf is a predator, and certainly a predator to the sheep. They will attack the weak and will stop at nothing to satisfy their hunger. And so in contrast to the sheep, he represents the unscrupulous, the merciless nature, which is common in the world. They prefer the weak for their prey, and so sheep uh, are their prime target. And so the wolf really can be taken to represent anything that poses a danger to the flock. But more precisely, perhaps, there's a particular danger that the wolf elsewhere in Scripture uh, and in the sayings of Jesus and the apostles is represented or related to, which is the, uh, the subtlety of false teachers given to disguise. Um, 
Matthew 7, verse 15, uh, Jesus' words, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And perhaps we turn uh, to Acts chapter 20. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, gives a similar warning. In Acts 20 and verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. And so it's not difficult, is it, to see the, the, what's represented in these things, this um, grievous walls, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. There's yeah, a danger to the flock of the Good Shepherd. Well, then we have the stranger, stranger that's mentioned in verse 5. Um, synonymous probably as well with the thieves and the robbers that are mentioned in verse 8. They are a danger to the sheep, and, but the sheep instinctively know this and do not listen to the uh, stranger, but they flee from him. Let's just read verse 8. Uh, John 10, verse 8. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And it's verse 5, isn't it? Sorry, the stranger. The stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So they represent anything that could be worshipped and listened to that is not of God. And sadly, Israel in times past had been lured into doing that, hadn't they? Um, leading to the exaltation of, in the days of Joshua, for instance, when he appealed to them to put away the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto Lord, the Lord your God. And he went on to say, the Lord our God will be the people went on to say, the Lord our God will we serve and his voice will we obey. And so, yeah, strange things, strange gods, these sheep, uh, the flock of Christ, they instinctively know and detect as being foreign to the things of God and they avoid them. Then we've got the hireling shepherd uh, referred to in verse 12 and verse 13. A hireling shepherd is just what it says, um, nothing more but hired help, paid for uh, to do their work, an employee, so to speak. And in the, the parabolic context of the shepherd being a leader of people in spiritual affairs, the hireling, I suppose, would represent the class of worker developed by the clerical system today. And paid work in spiritual things is always a recipe for disaster. It's likely to become poor work with the primary goal being to earn money and not to serve out of duty and love. And that's really the consequence we see in the parable, isn't it? When Jesus speaks of what happens in times of peril, when there is danger and the wolf approaches, the hireling shepherd, in verse 12, he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. So when the time comes to show his true colours, the hireling demonstrates how little, in fact, he cares for the interests he professes to have at heart. 
uh, and abandons those who actually rely on him for their safety. And that's really something that we're going to we see in this subject is the contrast between the good shepherd and this hireling shepherd that flees and doesn't care for the sheep. That's really what the key lesson is really in comparing the two in understanding what the good shepherd's all about. So false men, they care not for the sheep, but only for their own being. We could uh, refer to, to Judas Iscariot, who we read cared not for the poor, uh, even though he was saying this money should be given uh, to the poor. It says it's not because he cared for the poor, he cared for his own well-being. And that's what these hireling shepherds did. There's a really interesting passage. Let's just turn to Philippians chapter 2. where we read of Paul speaking of Timothy. And the description of him. So two, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul said, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ's. So men naturally seek their own interests. That's the hireling. But this rare example in Timothy, he would naturally care for the state of the disciples. And that's the good shepherd. So we have this marvellous little picture in Timothy there. of the Timothy, the good shepherd, who will naturally care, and men generally who have their own interests at heart and not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees, I suppose you might say, well, they weren't actually paid for their for their work, but they still um, can be a hireling in terms of not caring for financial profit, but and caring for power and authority and status, and honour and respect. That's all they were um, concerned about. And we could read in Matthew chapter 23 that uh, Jesus' condemnation of them for those three reasons. Well, that's just Good Shepherd. Obviously, we'll come back to the Good Shepherd, but let's just deal with him here just so we get around everything in our overview here. Um, so the Good Shepherd, uh, just in the, which is the summary on the screen there, he cares for his sheep above all else to the detriment of his own safety. Completely opposite to what we've just been seeing in the Hireling Shepherd. There's no limits in the analogy. Uh, there's no limits to Christ's care of his flock gave his life for the sheep. So as I say, we'll be coming back and thinking a bit more about the Good Shepherd, but let's think about the shepherd's voice uh, for a moment and the listening flock. We talked about the flock from the listening side of things. Let's just think about the voice of the shepherd, uh, that the, the sheep listen only to the shepherd's voice and not the stranger's voice, as we've already seen. And it's very clear in, in John chapter 10, uh, Various references. So in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice. Uh, in verse 4, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 14, um, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep, and am known of mine. They know him. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So there's all these references uh, to the sheep hearing uh, his voice, but not the voice of strangers. So verse 5, as we've seen, a stranger will they not follow but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So it's this complete contrast, isn't there, 
the listening flock, true flock, they only listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and, and flee from the voice of strangers. Such a simple, straightforward lesson, isn't it? But it's so more difficult uh, to put into practice in our lives. And so we have depicted here the, the shepherd's voice, the voice of Christ, what he has said for the guidance of his followers. And the importance of that is seen very concisely a few chapters back in John chapter 6 in some words of Peter to Jesus, which are familiar to us, I'm sure. Uh, John 6, verse 68. Let's just pick up in verse 67. And Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. The good shepherd has these words, this voice that speaks words of eternal life. There's no shepherd whose voice is worth following and listening to more than him. The good shepherd has the words of everlasting life. And the, the shepherd's voice by extension doesn't literally just mean the words that he spoke that came out of Jesus' mouth, um, but can be taken to represent the voice of the spirit word in totality. The sheep are those that are found to be uh, listening to and discerning the shepherd in whatsoever things have been written aforetime for their learning. And let's move on then to, I think it's the last, last bit on this um, slide then, the other sheep that we read about in verse 16. I remember the first time it properly dawned on me what this verse was talking about in these other sheep. And it's now one of my favourite little verses of the Bible for what, for its significance, I suppose, more than it's the words itself, um, significance to us as, as Gentiles. And it's almost insignificant in the parable, isn't it? But as I say, for me, it's the best bit. Because amazing as all the things are that we've been looking at, they're all about the, the natural flock of God, aren't they? The Jewish flock. But here are these other sheep outside of that flock that uh, are being invited in. Sheep that are not naturally of this fold of Israel can be brought into the fold of the Good Shepherd if they also hear and listen to his voice. So let's read it, verse 16. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So we can almost imagine ourselves as these sheep outside the fold, can't we, looking in at these sheep that are so well cared for by this perfect shepherd. No one could wish for a better shepherd than the good shepherd. He does everything for them, cares for them, will lay down his life for them. How we wish we could be inside in that fold. Well, that's the marvellous position we're in, isn't it, brothers and sisters, that naturally we're outside of the hope of Israel, but we're brought in by the extension of God's purpose to the Gentiles. So we're completely included in the things that we're considering and the care of the Good Shepherd. Uh, it's described uh, in this way in Acts 14, uh, describing the work of the apostles, that they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. So that door that we've been speaking about through Christ is clearly open to the Gentiles as well. So these other sheep can come in. 
And just to extend that a little bit more, in John chapter 17, he captures on that this idea, I think, is enhanced even. But Jesus is praying to God uh, for his disciples. And again, he has these other sheep in mind. Um, so he prays for the disciples that have heard him and, and he's known. So in verse 9 uh, of John chapter 17, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. But he doesn't just pray for them. In verse 20, he prays for these others as well, these future disciples. Verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And so it's marvellous, isn't it, that Jesus, the, the good shepherd, is praying in his lifetime with us in mind, with these other sheep, with those in the future that would believe on him. He knew that his good shepherding would be of benefit for many generations to come, to all those that allow him to be their shepherd, that listen to his voice and follow him. That door of faith is open to them as well. So that's got through, um, took a bit longer than I was thinking, but um, that's got through the, the summary of the parable, as it were. And so let's think a bit more about the good shepherd. So having considered all these the other characters, the features around the good shepherd in the parable, hopefully that's helped to bring these things into perspective a bit more. And we see how needful um, we are on a and reliant true flock of God, the sheep are on a good shepherd. That's the case, naturally speaking, that shepherds rely on, that sheep rely on the, the shepherd uh, to care for them, provide for them, give protection and food and preserve their life. But what's more significant, of course, is our appreciation of the spiritual application of these things. It teaches the need for the, the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, to protect us from various forms of danger around and ultimately save our lives. And as we've started to see, hopefully, that our understanding of this good shepherd is brought into focus by contrasting and comparing him with the actions and characters, characteristics of the bad shepherds. And by considering how we would be if left without the good shepherd. And so we'd like to continue that, uh, that line of thought for a little bit longer. Because there is this contrast to be seen uh, in the parable that we've just been considering, and we have in John chapter 10, where Jesus speaks these words. So we have the contrast between the good and the bad shepherds. Uh, the bad shepherds being the Pharisees, these hireling shepherds, and the good shepherd being Jesus. But we have that back in the Old Testament as well, in the, the idol, the foolish shepherds that were the, the judges, the priests and the kings of old, versus the same one shepherd that was promised, the future shepherd, who was promised way back uh, when the shepherds were failing Israel. And plus there are lessons for us to see for ourselves uh, today as what we might say, what we might call under shepherds uh, in the ecclesia. Because we say under shepherds because Jesus was clearly the good shepherd. He was also described as the great shepherd in Hebrews 13 verse 2 and the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5 verse 4, uh, that reference in uh, Hebrews to the great shepherd, the word great is the word megas, and it means exceedingly great. It's the same word as we read in Matthew 28 verse 38, where Jesus said, this is the first and great commandment. 
And so we see Jesus as the, the first and the great shepherd. But the implication is there there can be other shepherds, uh, under shepherds also. And so as well as considering these contrasts between the good and the bad shepherds, uh, we can also consider um, in, going forward in our lives today, shepherding in the ecclesia. And so there's a lot to consider there. So what we've tried to do is just put it together in a table as a, another summary um, overview format, really, that we'll just try and have a quick look through. And a lot of it will be things that we've already looked at. So um, don't worry too much. Um, so these are the, the headers, as it were, of the, the, the columns that we're going to be looking at a few verses in. So we've got a shadow of the parable of the good shepherd in the Old Testament. And again, we've got the contrast between foolish shepherds, the idle shepherds, as they were described, of Israel in times past, the judges, the priests, the kings that should have been uh, looking after God's people. And in that time, they were contrasted with the one shepherd that was promised to come, which was Jesus, the promise of Jesus. Then we've got uh, in the middle a couple of columns there, the parable of the good shepherd, where we've been seeing the contrast again between the bad shepherds, the hireling shepherds or the Pharisees, and the contrast with Jesus, the good shepherd. And then, as we've just said, there's some lessons for us today in all these things as, as shepherds ourselves. There are, there's a place in there, uh, Ecclesia, for ecclesial shepherds. Uh, we're all sheep, uh, and just to some extent, we're all shepherds as well. But um, we'll see some of these lessons hopefully coming through. So what we might just do quickly, I mean, there's passages in Zechariah and in uh, Ezekiel 34, but we'll perhaps just look at Zechariah chapter 11, just as a bit of a background to the, the Old Testament aspect of these things. And um, just read three verses there, but we'll put a few others on the screen. Um, so Zechariah chapter 11, just to remind ourselves, and get you know, the bad shepherds of Israel, uh, re-familiarise ourselves with them in the words. Um, so Zechariah 11 verse 15. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. So there's just three verses that uh, speak of the poor shepherding of old in the, in the days of Israel. So let's just bring bring a few passages up as we just start to just, just quickly recap and rehearse some of these things. So we've got the contrast in the shadow in the Old Testament. We've got you know, the idle shepherds that leave the flock and uh, but the promise, even in the Old Testament, as we say, Ezekiel 34 is, is a chapter that we're probably familiar with. It speaks all about uh, the bad shepherding uh, uh, in times past of Israel. But at the end of Ezekiel 34 in verse 23, we read these words in the table there, this promise of the good shepherd to come. I will set up one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. Even my servant David, he shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. So despite these bad times of all the, the lack of a good shepherd, that there was this promise of the good shepherd to come. Uh, and we know that the reference to David there isn't literally to David because of these are prophecies that were given 350 or so years after David. 
Um, and it's it's speaking of the Lord Jesus, of course. Got Jeremiah 30 verse 9 on the screen as well, where again it refers to David, but the king who is going to be raised up unto the people. So it's this marvellous promise of Jesus as the one good shepherd to come in the Old Testament. And so that's, that's the shadow in the Old Testament. And then we've got this parable we've been looking at in the Good Shepherd in the New Testament. And so we've seen the hireling. So in John 10, verse 12, sees the wolf and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. Considered that. But on the other hand, Jesus, the Good Shepherd, there's no um, leaving the scene for him. Uh, he's given his life for the sheep. There's no limit to the care of Jesus. And so we can perhaps... You know, see some lessons for ourselves in these things. Um, we've referred already to Acts chapter 20, haven't we? How we need to have ecclesial shepherds, as it were, under shepherds that take heed to the flock because grievous wolves shall enter in, not sparing the flock. And we need two, two shepherds to guard against the wolves that will come from within and without, protecting the flock at all costs. And we could consider. Uh, the days of Joshua, um, where effectively they, they had a good shepherd. In the words there, Numbers 27, 16 and 17, where they set a man over the congregation which may lead them out and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And that's what's required today, isn't it? That we need to follow on from the work of Christ in um, looking after and protecting the flock yeah, as Jesus did. So hopefully you start to see this this pattern building where there's this shadow and then the, and the parable and also lessons in these things for us. So um, Ezekiel 34, another um, aspect of the foolish, the idle shepherds, was that with force and cruelty have ye ruled them, Ezekiel 34 and verse 4. But again, still there was the, the promise of better things of this one good shepherd to come. So at the end of the chapter, Ezekiel 34, verse 31, God said, Ye my flock, the flock of my pasture, amen, and I am your God, saith the Lord God. So Jesus, of course, was the, you know, the manifestation of God to bring that purpose about um, that would ultimately care for God's flock. Um, so we've seen in, in line with the foolish and the idle shepherds that were cruel to the flock in Old Testament times, we've been uh, briefly considered the hireling shepherd and the, the Pharisees in Jesus' day. That's what the parable was all about. We saw that at the beginning of our thoughts, didn't we? How it was clearly aimed at the, the Pharisees and the bad shepherds in Jesus' day. And they were uh, likened to this hireling that flees because he cares not for the sheep. So there's these cruel, uncaring shepherds. Um, there's some words of Jesus to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23 there. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You committed the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done. They had no mercy at all, did they? That's what we saw in John chapter 9, in their dealing of that, that man who they cast out. They should be caring for, for these people they cast them out uh, but Jesus on the other hand he's the good shepherd he knows his sheep and is known of them uh, and we've considered those words in the sort of lessons for us today already how we need to take care 
of the flock and show compassion to each other, don't we? And we consider Timothy as that example of this naturally caring state that Timothy had. And that's what we need to have, um, not this cruel, um, fleeing shepherd uh, nature, but the one that's naturally caring. Okay, um, so as the, the descriptions of the, the foolish and idle shepherds continue on the left-hand side here, so in Zechariah 11, we just read that a foolish shepherd shall not visit those that be cut off. And we have a similar thing in Ezekiel 34, verse 4 and verse 6. Uh, neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost. None did search or seek after them. But again, uh, later in that chapter in Ezekiel 34, we have this promise that things, would, the situation would be uh, turned around. Uh, so just at the end uh, there, verse 16, I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away. That's God's promise through this promised shepherd to come. But the Pharisees, they were like the foolish shepherds of old, weren't they? Um, there's the words in John 9, verse 34, we've considered this man. They said he was born in sins and they cast him out. They didn't, uh, yeah, they were like the shepherds that cut off and left and didn't seek out um, Israel. But Jesus was completely the opposite. Um, John 9, verse 35, he heard they'd cast him out and went and found him. We've read these words already, haven't we? John 6, verse 37, he said, I will in no wise cast out. He exalted his disciples, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. These lost people needed seeking out, finding, caring for. Uh, and the parable of the lost sheep that we referred to as well, Luke 15, verse 4. Uh, if you lose one sheep, you go and leave the 99 uh, and search until you find it. I think that carries over into the lessons for us, doesn't it? Those parables in Luke 15 are all about uh, parables of the lost, seeking the lost. The lost sheep was um, search until you find it. Uh, there's also the parable of the lost coin, isn't there? And the, the woman searched the house diligently until she found the coin. We shouldn't stop searching. and Certainly shouldn't be cutting people off like uh, the foolish shepherds did and like this the Pharisees did. But we should receive people back if they are lost and we, we bring them back. Uh, in the words of Paul there, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Uh, in his words to the Corinthians, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him and confirm your love toward him. Speaking of people that are coming, coming back. Just a couple more uh, to go here. Um, so on this screen, so more criticism of the or characteristics of the bad shepherds on the left-hand side there. They didn't heal that which was broken. The diseased have you not strengthened, neither healed the sick or bound up the broken. But again, we've got the promise of the opposite. That God said he will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick. And that's looking forward to the work of Jesus. And in the Good Shepherd column there, We've got these words that we're again familiar with surely in the Gospels, aren't we? That when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus wanted to be the shepherd to these people. He had compassion on them. 
And then Matthew 14, verse 14, he was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. So the criticism of the bad shepherds was they didn't heal the sick and the broken, but Jesus did. And it's something that we should do as well, isn't it? As ephesial shepherds should, should um, bear the infirmities of the weak and not please ourselves like the Pharisees did. And so there are many ways in which we can be healers uh, of the weak and the sick. And so just finally, final screen uh, slide here, um, or in this table. The final aspect of the bad, uh, the foolish shepherds, was that they didn't feed that that standeth still. Uh, should not the shepherds feed the flock? You feed not the flock. Um, but again, the promise was that one would come who would feed them. Uh, God's people would be fed in a good pasture upon the high mountains of Israel, shall their fold be. So it continues. And that's what Jesus achieved. Um, in John 10, verse 9, in this chapter in John 10, by me they shall go in and out and find pasture. That was the work of the shepherd. But ultimately, Jesus feeds the flock with his body, and his blood, and that's what he said didn't he, in John chapter 6. Uh, he chapters back from, still in John 10. Uh, John 6, uh, verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which that I give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world so yeah jesus ultimately gives his body and his, his blood uh, as food uh, to save us um, eternally and so we can, can um, relate these things to ourselves as well come in the feeding aspect of looking after and caring for the flock always putting our brothers and sisters needs above our own looking at not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of the others. We've all got an aspect that is contrary to the, the Pharisees, contrary to the foolish shepherds of old, but it's just what Jesus did for others first. And just the last couple of things we've got there on the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, show love through hospitality. We've got 1 Peter 4, verse 8 to 9, and Hebrews 13, verse 1 to 2. If you've been at, at rugby the last couple of Sundays, um, and or listen to the exhortation that, that was referred to. Brother Lawrence referred on Sunday in his exhortation. He pointed out, didn't he, that there's these two verses in 1 Peter in Sunday's readings that linked love and hospitality and caring for our brothers and sisters as there had been in the previous week uh, that Brother Nick had used in Hebrews chapter 13. We've just put them on the screen here. Um, so Hebrews 13, that brotherly love continue, be not forgetful to entertain strangers and then in 1 peter 4 verse 8 above all things have fervent love for one another verse 9 be hospitable to one another without complaint and so surely these are all uh, things aren't they to do with our shepherding today and how we show love to each other act kindly towards our brothers and sisters in all things and so our last passage um we can um, ignore these these words uh, beautiful as they are and yet they have this great relationship to the things that we're talking about this evening in Matthew chapter 25. Um, we have the description of the last judgment, uh, likened to a shepherd shepherding, 
separating his sheep uh, from the goats. Uh, and this marvellous statement here, isn't it, where the righteous reveal effectively that they, they've done all these things. They've cared for the, the brothers and sisters, their fellow uh, sheep, their flock, without even realising it. So Matthew 25, verse 37. It's like the natural care that we referred to in Timothy, isn't it? Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When we saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? All the features of a, a good, good shepherd. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And that's good shepherding, isn't it? brothers and sisters, following the example of the chief shepherd of God's flock. And so we do have to be both uh, good sheep and good shepherds where required, just as Jesus himself was a lamb and also the shepherd himself. And so if we do, if we follow those good examples of the good shepherd and are in that fold, in that privileged position that we're in, then we have that privilege, God willing, of hearing those words that will be spoken to the sheep on the right hand of the king and in verse 34 then shall the king say unto them on his right hand come ye blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world